Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. slapping this thing together right now i am in paradise as you can see right now i'm recording with sunglasses on i don't have a microphone arm doesn't have a microphone either he's in florida i'm in san juan puerto rico and this is like your classic pre-christmas thing we just got to get together we got to halt our vacation for a minute as you hear something rolling by me on like brick uh like that's the sound here we're gonna talk baseball right now and we're gonna yeah. knock out a couple of gm episodes because Free agency is getting close to the finale, right? We've seen all the big names come off the board for the most part. We still have some impact players that have yet to sign, but really it's just finishing out rosters. Um, so we're going to go with the GM episode of the Orioles and the Brewers, two teams that are near completion, but still might be and need to do some more things. But first and yeah. foremost, Aram. I saw your public service announcement cards came in, your PSA cards. <laughs> my PSA cards. You think that's? A, you think that that was like an actual conversation they had? It was like, oh, like PSA. That that acronym's kind of taken already. Yeah. So project the plate. What does project the plate mean? <laughs> right? Shouldn't yeah. they have had like a group think um, yeah. to, to decide like, hey, maybe PSA isn't the best route to do it? But you got. You got some heat, as the kids say, yeah. back in that I saw. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Um, I got Andrew Vaughn back, which I'm sure is the card that you're talking about, that Andrew Vaughn refractor. <laughs> uh, but a bunch, bunch of my favorite Bowman Chrome autos came back. I got Manoa. I got Jeremy Pena out of 250. I got Miguel Vargas out of 99. Um, and Corbin Carroll base card came back a PSA 10. So I will be holding on to that one as well. Really excited about uh, that return. And um, I've been struggling in the holiday season to, to to get the credit card balance down a little bit. So yeah. uh, I'm sad. I'm looking at these guys. It's like all of my children. Which one of these do I have to part with? Um, there's a couple that I'm going to be parting with. Uh, probably not Vaughn because I think he's going to rake when, when he goes over to first base and, and doesn't yeah. have to run around in the outfield like we talked about. But my sweet Prince Alec Manoa, maybe time to say goodbye. So I, I'm curious, like, which ones you're going to hold, which ones you're going to go, um, or which ones you're going to depart with. Because my understanding, and just, like, walking through the card stuff, if you're if you're looking um, at our friends at eBay, right, if you're looking to buy, if you're looking to buy some prospects, uh, autographs are worth more than non-autographs. That's very clear. Um, the other thing that you got to look at, which is pretty hard to understand for non-card collecting people that want to get into it, 
is the grading scale. Like, what does it mean yeah. when a card is graded? So okay. I've got a bunch of cards that I've bought just like in a pack, and I have not gotten them graded. If you see a number like a 10, a 9.5, a 9, that means that these cards have been graded. And it works at the scale that you think. 10 is the best. 1 is the worst. The worst I've seen that goes for like real money is like a 7.5 or an 8. That's what the modern these, card. Like, yeah. Yeah, you see some of like these Honus Wagners that are like three and a half out of ten, but yeah. it's a Honus Wagner card. It's a hundred years old. So it, it, if it's not a one, it's like, wow, that thing's not creased and crumbled up to shit. Like that's worth a lot. But with the modern cards, it's like these people pull them, they put them straight in a piece of plastic and send it to PSA. So it, if it's not a nine or better, you know, you might as well just crack it open and it shouldn't be graded, which is crazy. Um, so, you know, you want the tens. If it comes back a 10, you're like 5Xing your, your money there, at least 4X. I don't know what the exact multiplier is. Depends on the player too and the demand. But um, it creates scarcity, you know, in, in a hobby that we know through the 90s and onward, they mass produced. And the only scarcity that we could create was, okay, which ones are perfect? And yeah. The beautiful thing is these manufacturers somehow still do not produce all of the cards perfectly. Many of them are messed up from the jump. So off center or in a pack, a corner gets dinged, whatever it may be, scratches, print marks. That's the craziest print lines. There's a line on the card from the, the printer or whatever. And now my card's worth less. That one blows my mind. That happened to me with a James Wood card. And I'm, I'm like dead inside. Oh, well, you were dead inside before that. Yes, correct. Correct. But, but whatever was left, the, the Bills Dolphins game and then these cards. But uh, yeah, I'm excited too, because if people are enjoying this conversation, stay tuned for the new year. We got some card content coming. That's all yeah, I'll say. And the, the beauty of the collectibles market is like, you know, collectibles in, in every sense of the word. Like you look at art, right? You want the original commissioned piece. Like collectibles are all about scarcity. And the yeah. beauty of like these numbered cards are they are the most rare. So I'm going to go through each of these six that you got graded. And I want you to like, tell me least expensive to most expensive. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So I'll start with the, the nines. You've got three graded nine. No, you've got four graded nine and two graded 10. Um, you've got O'Neill Cruz, his Bowman Chrome first graded mint nine. That mm -hmm. is that your cheapest card of this six? No. No, it's probably the most expensive of the nines. Really? Okay. So you've got Alec Manoa, a Bowman first. It's shiny and it's a nine. What does that mean? Uh, that one's out of 50. That oh, one, nine. that Manoa is a nine. That Manoa is a nine. Yeah. That, that one might be a little bit more actually. That one might okay. be a little bit more. How about, how about this? No one wants pitchers. No one wants yeah. pitchers. That's the problem. Vaughn is one of my favorite bounce back guys. I think his is cheaper right now. Um, I would say it's Manoa, number one, just because of what he's done at the big league level. Cruz is right there. And then I would say Vaughn. And then Miguel Vargas, his Bowman first auto graded nine is fourth. It would be, but that one's out of 99. So it's probably right there with, um, with the O'Neill Cruz. Holy smokes. Okay. And then your two tens, you've got Jeremy Pena is graded 10 out of 10. Uh, and then you've got Corbin Carroll graded 10 out of 10. I mean, those are your two, like. Jeremy Pena's rent. Um, and yeah, that's rent. And Corbin Carroll. I'm holding, I'm going to sell Pena. I'll be honest. Uh, that one's okay. out of 250. 
Corbin Carroll is a base card, but I, you know, I still think that guy's going to be so good that 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 thing's going to keep going up. So I'm holding on to Corbin. I'm probably selling Jeremy after the World Series MVP. Like I think Jeremy's going to be good, like really good. Yeah, but, but it's the World I Series MVP. I don't, I don't think it's much better than this man. This is pretty crazy. He's a World Series MVP. Right. Right. Okay. That's fair. Um. Man, so are you going to sell that on eBay? Like, just so our people know, if they're going to go hawk the shit out of that, it's going to be on eBay? It's on eBay. Get ready. <laughs> okay, good. Um, I want to open the floor to you because Peter and I talked about the marquee signings over the weekend. That was Benintendi. That was Swanson. Uh, Justin that was Turner. Carlos Rodon. It was Justin Turner, another marquee Jordan signing. Lyles. Jordan Lyles, two years with the Royals. <laughs> oh, my God, barf. They love they love bad pitchers. It's it's very dick. <laughs> So that was my thing. thing. It's not like I'm looking for characteristics in a Royals pitcher and I can't find anything other than bad. Like they're, they're different kinds of bad. Like Boobich is a totally different kind of bad than Jordan Lyles is, but they just like bad pitching. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting. Like from a, from a serious standpoint, Lyles will give them a little bit of a, a little bit of, you know, just stability. Um, I guess guess, that rotation. But no, on the serious signings, uh, quickly on Dansby, I know you guys got into it. Um, you know, I, I think it's kind of clear that that Dansby, that deal is, I think it's a solid one. I also very much understand why the Braves didn't didn't do it, right? And I'm yes. sure you guys you know, hit on most of those things. And, you know, Vaughn Grissom, if Vaughn Grissom is a three-war player next year even, which I think is is a, is probably about the, the middle expectation, right? You're hoping he's a little bit more. He could be a little bit less. I think right around a you know two and change to three F war season next year for Grissom would be great, right? Uh, if Dansby's a five war guy, and I know there's more than just war, is it worth it for versus a guy on a pre arb deal versus 177 million dollars? It's a no brainer. I don't think there's a 170 million dollar difference between Grissom and Dansby, even though Dansby is a very very good player. It's just kind of the Braves' mo, and I get it. Um, for the Cubs, though. I'm excited because they're building something here, man. And we've talked about that. And, you know, is Dansby going to be a superstar for you? Probably not. But I don't think they're paying him to be, right? We talk about the superstar years. I always talk about the superstar years as being when you have to pay the guys until they suck, right? Dansby's not being paid until he sucks. He's being paid up until the end of his prime, maybe a year or two after the prime where he'll still give you some good stuff. And and that's great, right? He does. He's kind of that secondary tier free agent, and that's what he got paid as. He didn't get those superstar years. So if he got the superstar years, I'm saying, whoa, 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 what are we doing here? But if Dansby Swanson is even a three to four win player for the duration of this contract, slightly disappointing, but you're not like, oh my god, this is the worst contract ever. What do we do? It's like, okay, it's fine. It's a fine contract, and the Cubs got better, and that's all that matters. It's not your money. Who cares? He got almost half, like he got $2 million more than half of what Carlos Correa got. And that should tell you a ton, right? That should tell you that Dansby Swanson and Carlos Correa are not in the same breath. Should also tell you that Dansby Swanson and Trey Turner, a $300 million player, are not in the same breath. And that Dansby and Xander Bogarts, a $280 million player, even though I thought he was much closer to Dansby, are not in the same breath. Um, Dansby yeah. is a really good shortstop and Peter got very, I don't want to say angry, but he was very adamant that this was not paying for, um, a one-year wonder. And I pushed back on that. I said, well, 
it kind of was, but not really, because Dansby Swanson has had a good major league career. Now, yeah. I did bring up the point that 2022 was double the best season he had had previously. Oh, in no, terms he, of he made he made himself at least seventy five million dollars. I think year. he I made think... himself. I think he made himself ninety million dollars. I do most likely. He most likely did because you know I I don't think we would have considered that. You know, you have to think about when when you're giving somebody like that a, a contract. Like what what is what is his best potential output, right? And and I'm not giving a guy 177 million dollars if he's not capable of doing what Dansby just did, right? We're hoping he'll duplicate it. We don't know if he will, but just the very hope that he can duplicate that insane season last year is why he's going to get paid like that, right? That is that is an all star season. That is almost a superstar season. The Cubs aren't expecting him to do that year in or in year out, or else he would have got a Correa deal. But I think they're hoping that he can get one or two years close to that and then hang around, you know, 70% of that or 60% of that for the duration of the deal. The the, the reason why, you know, I think where, where Peter is coming from and probably got stuck in the, you know, the semantics of it a little bit is just Dansby is maybe one of the more revered players in the game and the way that he approaches things what he brings to the table. He's a winner. He's been a steady player for a long time. So, you know, I think that gives him that, you know, like that baseline, but he still put himself way over the top money-wise with the series season he had. He's also one of the most low-risk players we've got. Like he's one of yeah. the highest. He's not going to suck. High, no, he's never going to suck. He's one of the highest floor players in Major League Baseball. Um, mm-hmm. ben, and Twen- ben and Tendi, quick thought on that fit with the White Sox. I love it, man. I, I you know, I look, it's, it's, it's funny because it's oh Andrew Benatendi got five years. He's 28, you know, and uh he's gonna be 33, 32, 33 at the end of the deal. His game is not gonna change at all by then. I can promise you that. He's gonna hit the ball, he's gonna play decent defense, and he's just going to be consistently on base for them. And I think that's something they really needed. They needed a true outfielder, they needed a guy that can hit in the two hole or in that and you know, in the front of the lineup and be consistent right i mean not in the nick magical sense he's going to impact the ball a little bit more than that and i think that's exactly what they needed so you know it takes some of the pressure off of some of these other guys and you know allows the power guys to be the power guys so i I like it i think it was exactly what the white Sox needed sure did you have to go maybe a year more than you wanted to maybe but in 2028 if i'm paying Andrew Benatendi, $15 million. I, I don't really care. You know, I, I really don't. I, I don't think that or 2027. I don't think it's going to be a big deal. So um, I think it's a good deal. And and, and I think that kind of ties in with the Brantley deal. Cause I think Brantley brings something very similar to the Astros mine sands the defense, but the consistent bat, you know, just yeah. a ton of contact professional at bats, get on base. And I, I love that the Astros brought, brought, Brantley back. Holy, that's that's a tongue twister right there. Yeah. Um, I, I love back. it because they're they're sneakily losing some dudes. I'm not worried about them, but you know you, you gotta you gotta retain some of them. And I, and I think Brantley was the right guy to retain. Yeah. Uh, real quick, yes or no question: Are the Yankees the best starting rotation in baseball now? Cole Rodon, Nestor Cortez, Luis Severino, Frankie Montas. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But. Will they be the best rotation in baseball in July? And that's a great question. I know you can play that game with any rotation, and I will say that. But I think you can play it the best with, with the Yankees, given yeah. you know just just the uncertainty health wise, right? I mean, Rodon, Rodon of Sevi of Montas, yeah, and then even like you know Nestor, 
we've never really seen last year was was you know the most innings he has thrown period they've been careful with him I, there's no reason to you know anticipate injury or anything like that but yeah. one we have to see if he's going to duplicate it completely and then two we have to see if he stays healthy i think he can do both I, and i would bet on him doing both but that's still enough of a question mark like the, the only guy that you can really say okay he's going to be good and he's going to give us a ton of good innings is garrett cole yeah and and, you know, the, and Garrett Cole even has his ebbs and flows a little bit. So, you know, he I don't think he's that Sandy Alcantara level consistent ace or or some of the other guys, even Verlander last year. So it's interesting. It has the most upside. I think it has the upside to be one of the best rotations we've seen in, in decades if everybody is clicking. Uh, but it also has the potential that we're seeing Clark Schmidt throw in July. And it's like, oh, remember when we were talking how great this rotation was? Uh, so it, it's just kind of the way it is. But that that's baseball. Are the Yankees a better team at the start of 23 than they were at the start of 22? Oh, that's a great question. Because they retain Judge. They add Rodon. Who do they lose? They retain Rizzo. They retain Rizzo. It's the same team with the addition of Carlos Rodon, I think. Uh, you know, Peraza's in the fold. Look at Peraza's numbers, man. Like what he did in that in that big league cameo. He is a he's a special player. I really think Dude, so. I love the whole year of Oswaldo Cabrera being a, a Swiss Army knife for them. I'm yeah, so, I don't think the team's better. The team's better because if they they needed the, those guys like bailed them out down the stretch. Like they they needed youngsters to to help them and DJ DJ being healthy. Uh, you know, he was playing, he was playing well, you know, before he went down there and he was playing through some shit too, which has been the case. We'll see if he can stay healthy, but um, no, I'd say this team is better. It's it's not better enough offensively and I'm interested to see what they do, um, but it, it's better. Yeah, I think so too. All right. We're going to go rapid fire through these two teams uh, by playing GM and we commit to doing all 30 teams. We're going to do all 30 teams. A lot of teams are close to completion. I think these yeah. two teams that we're going over today are close to completion, but they still have enough sex appeal in the what if department to make it a worthy conversation to take you into Christmas. And we'll start in the American league. Then we'll go to the national league. We're going to do the Baltimore Orioles. And then we're going to do the Milwaukee Brewers and the Orioles and Brewers are kind of swinging different ways on the pendulum, right? The Orioles were, Oh my God, they're this good in 2022. And then you hear Mike Elias say that they want to significantly escalate the payroll. And you said, oh, this is good. You rub your hands together and say, Carlos Rodon, you are a Baltimore Oriole. And it turns out by significantly escalating the payroll to this point, Mike Elias truly meant Adam Frazier, you are a Baltimore Oriole. One year, $8 million. (laughs) Barf. Um, And then Frazier said play every day. Did you see that? He said, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to play every day. No way. That's what they discussed. Mm Mm-hmm. He said they asked him, you know, why why he wanted to come to Baltimore, and he said, um, "I wish I could credit the source. I'm sorry. This is just something I saw late last night before I went to bed, and I laughed, and then I went to sleep. Um, it was like, it was something along the lines of, you know, when they met, not only did did they, you know, say a lot of the right things, they also were pointing out some of the things with his swing or like some adjustments that he wanted to make that were exactly what he wanted to make, and so he was like, wow." They're on the same page as me, which is awesome. I mean, we know the Orioles do a really good job on that side of things. But he also said to play every day. I'm going to be able to play the infield. I'm going to be able to play the corners, um, which is really funny because I think if you gave Adam Frazier like a pitch on the outer half, told him what's coming and told him to swing as hard as he can, I don't know if he leaves the yard in that stadium to the left field. Um, so I, I, I don't I don't know why he's going to play a ton. I like him as a bat in the equation for them. 
but I feel like they've got a lot of dudes. So I'm excited to talk about this team. They did also add Michael Givens, which I like him as a bullpen, you know, depth piece because yeah. they've seen seemed to do a really, really good job of spawning guys that come in and just just throw fuzz and are nasty like Felix Bautista and even Dylan Tate was somehow good last year. Yeah, he was great. I don't totally get the Adam Frazier move. Uh, it doesn't hurt. Uh, but, you know, this is not what I envisioned. I agree. When when I heard escalate the payroll, that's not what I imagined. No, that's not what I imagined either. And uh, I see uh, what Nathan Ruiz, the Baltimore Sun, tweeted it out. Raj Kabatko also tweeted it out. Adam, um, Adam Frazier just said it during his media availability. So I want to run through the roster resource right now, what this lineup looks like. We'll go bats and then arms, because I think the conversation and really the disappointment in the offseason – stems from the pitching staff and and what they didn't do arm wise but running through the lineup as it stands right now for Baltimore obviously you've got Adley Rutschman a catcher that will never change the backup catcher is Anthony Bemboom that's not that great but they're not going to do anything about it uh Ryan Mountcastle actually gets to play first base now which is really exciting he gets to be the everyday first baseman um mm-hmm. the corner is going to be filled by as it stands right now Ramon Urias the middle infield is where things get interesting Gunnar Henderson one of the best prospects in baseball is going to be the opening day shortstop. You've got Adam. Is that, is that, is that what do you think? That, do you think that's what, what they're going to do? I hope not, but I do think it's what they're going to do. Like what I want them to do. And I think what they're going to do are different things here. Like, would you prefer, prefer Gunnar Henderson at short or Rias at third or Mateo at short yes. and Gunnar at third? The latter. So you've got Gunner at third, Mountcastle at first. That's a great corner infield tandem. And you've got Mateo at short and Adam Frazier, you just commit to at second and Ramon Arias as a utility guy. Do we want to roll with that? Yeah, I prefer that. I prefer I really that do. too. I prefer you know, I, Gunner, Gunner, you know, from a prospect standpoint, I can tell you like Gunner really impressed me with the glove last year. He made some great strides. His range, his footwork is better. His arm is great. He, if he played a full season at shortstop, He'd probably grade out as a slightly above average defender, um, you know, with with some you know rookie rookie mistakes here and there, and just get getting a little bit more acclimated there. If if Jorge Mateo plays a full season of shorts up, he grades out as one of the best defenders in the sport. Um, the difference is offensively, right? You know, what are you getting from Mateo versus what you get from an Arias? Arias is going to give you a lot more offense there. Mateo is going to give you some more speed. I don't know if they they need to worry about offense from from that you know technically the shortstop position even though we're kind of shuffling around uh, because yeah, I think the rest of the team's going to rake and also I think it's tough because I think Arias could actually be a trade chip for them yeah I think that that's also a possibility and they've got guys coming up that's the thing too right like and guys that like I typically don't like to base decisions on that I always talk about that but when you got like three dudes that could feasibly be up early in the year and that's Jordan Westberg that's Joey Ortiz who's a yes. phenomenal defensive shortstop and that's Connor Norby all of which had success at the AAA level you, you got to wonder you know what what's the plan short term long term here um and that's what made the Adam Frazier acquisition a little more surprising for me too it's not like they desperately needed left-handed bats and it, and it's not like Kobe Mayo is that far off either right probably a year a year away too 
Okay. Yeah. So there's this surplus. And then what I, what I really want to talk about is the outfield too, because hmm. the four outfielders that are going to be on the opening day roster as it stands right now are Mullins in center, Hayes in left, Santander in right, Kyle Stowers as the DH. But then you've got guys like Colton Cowser waiting in the wings and he could be up very, very quickly. You've got other guys that are non-roster invitees, Nomar Mazzara. How about, um, oh, I'm blanking, Franchi Cordero. Like, I, I know uh-huh. he's the butt of jokes, but Franchi Cordero, like, could hit if things go really well. Um, and, and you've got some other guys that are close, like Daz Cameron is now a Baltimore Oreo. Yeah. Um, so they've got so many guys, and I'm not saying that they're impact bats, but I love what's going on at the top with those four, with Hayes, Mullins, Santander, and Stowers. And I love the contingency plan with Kowser whenever he's ready to slot into one of those spots and have one of those guys become like the fifth outfielder slash DH. Uh, and then you've got these contingency plans waiting in AAA and Mazzara in Cordero in Daz Cameron. And and then Hudson Haskin, you know, he's going to start in AAA. 23-year-old had a great, he's going to be 24 by the time the season starts. Haskin had a great, great season in AA, 126 WRC+. plus good athlete can play all three spots. Like that's just another guy. So they've got long-term options and that's why I'm interested to see how they, how they maneuver here. Um, But when you look at the outfield, I I think they've got to really make the decision here of who, who's in our long-term plans and who can we use to upgrade our pitching situation. It's very clear. They didn't want to spend on Rodon. And you know what? I get it because I know the Baltimore Orioles said that they wanted to escalate the payroll. First of all, Don't underestimate the fact that Rodon probably just wanted to play for the Yankees, right? People always forget the other side of it. We don't even know. I don't even know if Rodon wanted to pitch for the Orioles. And that's not a slight of the Orioles. I don't even know if the Orioles tried. But I think that is worth noting as we look at Justin Turner, who signs with the Red Sox for the same amount that he could have signed with the Marlins and would have taken home more after taxes. There's a lot more that goes into it. But what I will say is, you know, the, the trade market has been, you know, dormant and, it's because they kind of had to wait to see where all the free agents fall. And a lot of teams are looking to add and not a lot of teams are looking to subtract. So this is going to be a rare situation. I think where you need to find that big leaguer for big leaguer match, right? Not a lot of teams are looking to trade big leaguer for prospects. Even the Marlins, we're going to always have to reference them when we're talking pitching here. Uh, the Marlins aren't looking for prospects in return for Pablo Lopez, right? No, They're looking not. for for big league talent or close to it, guys that they can plug into the outfield. So if a team like the Marlins, who are still far off from competing, aren't interested in prospects, who is going to be interested in prospects? So I think for the Orioles, they need to figure out who they you know feel as though is a big part of their future in the outfield uh, and and who is going to stick there, no matter how good Colton Cowser is, no matter how good some of these other guys that are coming up. And and I do wonder if Kyle Stowers is expendable to them. You know, I I think you look at what Kowser is. I think you're hoping Kowser is going to be a, a heck of a lot better than Stowers. Better Stowers, I, yeah. And I love Stowers. Like I think he's a really good piece. Austin Hayes, you know, it was kind of a tale of two halves for him. How much do they, you know, how much do they believe that he was the first half guy versus the second half guy? Maybe Hayes is a trade chip. He has years of control, but also maybe they want to keep him because they're trying to put the best foot forward lineup wise. So. That's a tough spot for the Orioles. And that's where I kind of throw it back to you. It's like, where do they want to subtract from to to add in another spot? Because you don't want to deplete a strength when you're, well, let's be honest, the, the Orioles are trying to make a wild card next year, right? That, that That's what they're trying to do. They were close last year. How do they get closer this year? Uh, they're going to be better in a lot of ways, but they haven't made that big splash yet. Can you make that splash without 
depleting a strength? That's the question. Yeah. And, and what I would say is trade from the surplus of MLB ready infield bats and MLB ready outfield bats. And I think you need to look at this group of five and say, okay, let's hold on to three Mullins, Santander, Hayes, Stowers, Kowser. I personally would hold on to Mullins, Hayes, and Kowser, and I would make Stowers and Santander expendable. That's how I would go about it. So I would field calls on those two. I would also be fielding calls on whoever you want that is in AAA or AA infield-wise. Norby, mm-hmm. Westberg, Ortiz, I'm fielding calls on all of them. Norby is yeah. a guy that could absolutely they love crack Ortiz. the Miami they Marlins. Love, they love Ortiz. Yeah. So – do you think the Marlins like very clearly entertain Connor Norby and Kyle Stowers for Pablo Lopez? I, uh, you know, I think they, they wouldn't have entertained it a little while ago, but I think now they, they don't really have a choice. Right. And, and here's the thing, Stowers plugs in center opening day and Norby yeah. could plug, you know, either, you, you could decide. I think he could feasibly be a big leaguer right away. Um, yeah. And that adds power to your lineup. That adds athleticism to your lineup. And look, it's a roll of the dice. A hundred percent is. But there's just not that many teams that are going to give you a stud everyday bat if you're the Marlins. Because guess what? Anybody that's trading for Pablo Lopez is not going to want to subtract from their big league roster. They're trying to add. The Marlins don't want prospects. You better get a prospect that's very, very, very close to big league ready. I think the Orioles and the Twins are the two best, you know, partners in a deal. So if we're looking at it from that perspective, I I think it's got to be something like Stowers, Norby, and then you know a a, a lower level guy, a flyer guy. And I think that I think that gets done. I think he gets it done too. Okay, so we'll we'll keep that in the back pocket here as we look at the rotation. here we go. As it stands right now, Kyle Gibson, Kyle Bradish, Dean Kramer, Tyler Wells, Grayson Rodriguez. Now, there are reinforcements sitting a little bit lower in D.L. Hall, in Bruce Zimmerman, in Mike Bauman, in Spencer Watkins, uh, even a guy like Zach Lowther. Uh, how about a guy like Trey McGough that they just picked up in the minor league phase of the Rule 5? Kyle Bronovich, Chase McDermott is not far off, but there is not enough top-end talent here to be a playoff team to make it through a playoff series. Not in that division either, dude. That, they're going to get teed off on. They're going to yeah. get teed off on. Um, that's the hard part too, right, is they're going to be better in a lot of ways. And Gibson, look, I we laugh at the Gibson signing he's one of the few steady guys in that rotation now. Uh, you know, I think Tyler Wells was, was pretty solid last year. Um, but you look at a lot of the numbers and these guys, it's like, you know, it's not a lot of strikeouts. It's okay. You know, how much are they going to be able to miss bats here? Grayson Rodriguez is the only, you know, true bat mister of this group. They need another dude really, really bad. And if you can attain that guy with only subtracting Kyle Stowers from your, from your active roster, you know, I, it's a no-brainer. Um, I know we're, we're, we're sending Marlins pitchers everywhere, but the reality is there's not a lot of teams that are going to be looking to trade, you know, impact starting pitching. And that's why I'm really interested to see how Kim Ang handles this. But I think you got to pull the trigger on an arm. You know, I, I really think you got to pull the trigger on, on a Pablo because a lot of these prospects, you know, let's say Stowers gets off to a slow start next year. 
you're going to be kicking yourself because you know now now you can't really move them as easily and right. you're going to put somebody else in there anyways and Stowers is an athletic guy that can play both corners and even get by in center field and at this point you, you'd have him in the DH role so it's not even truly like you know I think what Stowers should be doing um so I, I would love to see them make that move so we say Pablo gets gets added in here and who gets the boot Kyle Bradish I, I kind of like what Bradish does. Um, what does he do? He's been fine. He was fine. He was good in he was good in a small sample and triple, and then he was fine last year, I guess. He was fine. It's, last like, year. it's mid fours to high fours ERA guy. Do you think is the biggest liability? It's like the question. He was a like, I'm not. I've never believed in. I've never believed in Dean Kramer, but you know he turns around and gives gives you a three two three ERA last year and a three eight FIP in one hundred twenty five. Yeah. I just kind I kind of like his ground ball. Like I don't know, there's something about Bradish that I just don't necessarily hate. Um, hmm. Someone's got to get tough. the boot though. Yeah. Or maybe Grayson Rodriguez isn't starting on the opening day roster. He has to. He has to. He has to. I agree. I guess it's Bradish. He's he's starter six. Yeah, I mean Kyle Gibson had a five ERA and thirty one starts. I know, but they just like, signed him. He's starting. They just buddy. signed him. He's starting. G Rod's got to start. Is is DL Hall going to be in the rotation? Is Bruce Zimmerman going to be in the rotation? Like those are big questions that they got to answer. I don't. Know. I I don't think DL Hall is in the rotation. Um, Do you think he's a bullpen guy? Yeah, and and then you know I think he'll make some spot starts. I think they'll give him an opportunity if somebody's struggling. But I think to start the season, the hope is that the rotation is going to look something like the, the roster resource <laughs> because you know Gibson's a lock. You know Tyler Wells, I think is is pretty close to a lock from from what he did last year. Dean Kramer, you're not booting him out. He was arguably statistically your best pitcher last year. And then you said you like Bradish. He's probably the odd man out at this point. So, uh, but you're, you'd probably rather roll with Bradish at the start of the year than a DL Hall because DL Hall just has not shown that he can start even at the Triple A level. So, I think <clears throat> I think you got to have the Hall in the either. You have to make the decision of do you still want to try Hall as a starter? If the, if the answer is yes, then put him in Triple and and have him continue to throw there. Um, if if the answer is no, we want to see him you know contribute to us in any way. Plug him in that bullpen like you did down the stretch last year. Um, yeah. So I think what they do with him will be very telling. I'd rather have him in the bullpen and he can make some spot starts here and there if needed. He's had health issues anyways. Um, I'd rather manage his innings. And, you know, if, if we, if we need a starter there, then, then we'll move him over. I'm with you on the bullpen. And like, I say, I like Bradish, but I say that so unwillingly because it's, it's relative to the rest of the Orioles rotation. And like, As of right now, the the top guy in the Orioles rotation is a guy that either has not thrown a single pitch in Major League Baseball or a guy that had a five ERA and 31 starts last year. I mean, yeah. that's how bad of a situation they're in right now. So we just added Pablo Lopez. He's their um, he's their eighth. He's their he's their one. And then you've got until Grayson is- Rodriguez proves that he is, you know, who we think he is. Yeah. And G Rod and Pablo Lopez can can really help. And you hope that some of these, you know, younger guys do pan out, but you gotta add controllable arms in trades. And I guess you have to wait to sign the free agents. I just don't see a path to immediate success in the starting rotation. I don't think whatever we do is gonna make them that much better. In the bullpen, Felix Bautista, I I do believe, is going to be one of the best closers in baseball this year. Mm -hmm. He was already that in 2022. Dylan Tate, you mentioned, had a really solid year. He could be the setup guy. 
they lack depth in the bullpen too. But again, like the problem might just be too big to fix. It's like when a car gets totaled, it's like, this is beyond repair right now. Yeah. I, you know, I think that the, the big hope for them, <clears throat> excuse me, is that the bullpen is, is elite. And I think there's a legit shot that this bullpen is elite. elite. I really, I will say that because Givens being added in there, that's like your seventh inning guy, right? He could be a, a really good seventh inning guy. Sinal Perez was spectacular last season, a 1-4 in 57 innings. And that's a lefty coming in for you. And they have a couple other guys in the low threes and Brian Baker, Keegan Aiken. They were both solid. Um, they added Voth as like that long reliever spot starter if they needed as well. That was a low-key signing that was not bad. Um, if, if you have D.L. Hall in the fold there and he's really thriving as a reliever, which we saw him look really good as a reliever in spurts, this bullpen can shorten games. And if you get five innings of three-run ball from Dean Kramer and then the, your bullpen shuts the door you know, and, and does its job, it, it's it's a very difficult model to duplicate and be good for 162. But but it's possible, right? And and we we've seen it done in some ways. And I think that can get them by. If you have a starter that like Pablo Lopez that can go you know pretty deep into games and you know give the bullpen a day off every fifth day, that's huge, right? And and I think that that will help a ton. But I think they can they can surprise people if the offense plays to the capability that it can, which you know, Adley Rutschman turning into arguably the best catcher in baseball, uh Gunnar Henderson. I mean, we saw how good he was last year. If, if he takes that, you know, that leap of being Michael Harris, Julio Rodriguez, the kind of guy that just goes into baseball and becomes an all-star right away. There's very few. There's a couple every couple of years. I think he could be that guy, too. The, the question really is the rotation. And at least you gave yourself a shot by getting a Pablo Lopez. Yeah. All right. So two moves that we make. Uh, Pablo Lopez for Stowers, Norby and a filler. And... I do want to just add a backup catcher because I don't, I don't like Anthony Benboom being the backup catcher. I kind of just want to add like Roberto Perez. Is that fine with you? Yeah, uh, it's I'll, a nothing deal. Not. Yeah. yeah. So uh, let me ask you this too: are, are Marlins fans pissed with Stowers, Norby, and and a pretty solid lower level guy? I mean, I think Marlins fans are pissed in the situation that they're in, anyways. So I think that because I think you know we look at Sean Murphy. We look at Sean Murphy, right? And that trade, we were like, why hasn't it happened yet? Why hasn't it happened yet? Why hasn't it happened yet? And then it happens. And then we're like, oh, for that? And usually if it takes that long to happen, and then the return is, oh, that? Maybe the market isn't what we thought it was. I think the market for Lopez is is obviously a little bit more uh, strong in terms of the the, the total suitors. Uh, But at the same time, maybe teams aren't willing to give up what we thought they'd be willing to give up. And... You know, I think no matter what, the trade's going to happen and people are going to say, oh, well, that's it. But reality is that could be two starters next year for you. Um, and if they get a good third piece in there, I, I think I think they got to consider it. All right. Let's do the Milwaukee Brewers in 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, the Brewers, mm-hmm. here's their deal. Um, they, for some reason, just started shipping people away. Uh, I can't tell you why. Like, no idea. Uh, all of a sudden, last year, Hater was gone from a first place team. Why? I don't know. Now, Asteri Ruiz is gone. Hunter Renfro is gone. Um, who else have they shipped off here? Uh, Colton Wong. Colton Wong is gone. Um, I don't know. They've still kept, you know, Burns, Woodruff, Peralta together. Eric Lauer had a really nice season last year. Aaron Ashby just signed an extension. He continues to impress. But they I mean, had Jesse Winker. They add Winker in in that 
uh, Wong deal, and then they add William Contreras in that Ruiz and, uh, you know, others deal, that three-way in the Sean Murphy trade. So th- this team, man, this team's really weird. Can I can I say that I think this team is better? I think it's better. Is too. that is that crazy? Like, I, I and I get a lot of shit in our just baseball chat because, like, you know, our social media uh, wizard Ethan Badowski, noted Cubs fan, hates the Brewers. Um, always loves to rip them. I think Peter's pretty critical of the Brewers or the Brewers pretty pretty frequently as well, and you know doesn't doesn't really believe in the way they do things. And I get it, I get it, I get it. But they run really well. David Stearns is. Is is a really smart guy, and he's hey, still involved. now advisor. Yeah, now advisor. Yeah, he's David still Stearns. involved. He's still involved. He's still involved. Um, this team reshuffled, but you know, you, you subtract Renfro, sure. And I didn't love that trade for them, but Contreras pretty much replaces that production. I think. I think he adds to it. I think he, in that stadium, he's foul pole to foul pole power. He is going to hit thirty plus home runs next year if if, if he is you know what I, what we think he is. Jesse Winker. Welcome back to Cincinnati, basically. You know, yeah, I think we could see – I don't know if we're going to see Cincinnati Winker, but if we see something between what we saw last year from Winker and Cincinnati Winker, they're a hell of a lot better there. That's going to be a better offensive season than Colton Wong. And then, you know, we'll see what, what happens with the outfield and, and second base. But I honestly think one of the biggest dark horses here is Bryce Turing at second base. And I think that's going to be everybody's favorite. Like, whoa, did you know Bryce Turing has a 3-5 F4? You know, that's going to be everyone's like like – did you know uh, stat yeah. because Turing's going to play elite defense. He's going to hit pretty well. He's going to steal a lot of bags. So I think they got way more dynamic at second. They've got the same shortstop who's really been the, the face of that team, not Yelich. Yelich, again, as I say every year, can't be worse and he probably won't be worse, but he <laughs> won't be better. And you look at the outfield, they got to figure some things out. Ken Rosenthal came out and talked about it. Um, and I'm excited to kind of unpack that. But Rosenthal said, you know, look for the Brewers to maybe trade one of their outfielders for, you know, an arm, which is interesting, which almost tells me maybe they'll subtract one of Woodruff and Burns, but then bring in another arm. They've always been unconventional. So I'm very interested to see how they do that. Yeah. Orders that won't go anywhere. Jackson Chorio, untouchable. Sal Freelick, according to Rosenthal, is darn near untouchable. Damn right. Could see, could see Garrett Mitchell go. Could see Joey Weimer go. Yeah. Um, so that should be interesting to see, you know, how they maneuver there. Yes. Um, I want to run through what the opening day lineup looks like right now. And that is William Contreras catching. Rowdy Telez at first. Okay. Bryce Turang at second. Great. Willie Adamas at short. Awesome. That's not changing. Luis Urias at third, I love. And Jace yeah. Peterson is not on this roster anymore. He's done taking at bats away from Luis Arias. I think Luis And Arias was hurt last year for for a good deal. I think he only played 119 games. He was he was banged up. I think it's um I, I think for perceived value and what he provides in Milwaukee Brewers, I do think he's one of the more underrated guys in baseball. And I'm not saying like he's a star. I'm just saying nobody talks about Luis Urias in the way that he should be talked about because this is an everyday big league baseball player. I think he does exceptional things with the bat. We know he's solid defensively. He packs a punch in a really small frame. I love watching Luis Urias play. 
125 WRC plus in the second half after, you know, again, he was banged up, cut the strikeout rate to 18%. He walks a pretty good amount for how much he puts the bat on ball. This guy's going to keep getting better. How Do you know how old Luis Arias is if you're not looking right now? Not cheating. Uh, isn't, he, isn't he 25, 25 or 26? 25 years old. He's not even going to be 26 by the time the season starts. He'll still be 25. Like, this guy's young. He's going to keep getting better. So, I, I, I love Arias. I think he's going to continue to get better at that spot. So, you could say they, they legitimately improve at third base i think they you know i won't say improve at second because anytime you subtract they held serve at second yeah i think they held which is good because they they improved in another spot i, I would say it, i would say they've improved in a, at, at several positions um yeah catcher obviously massive jump uh even yeah. if the defense is is a little bit you know to be desired you had, you got caratini in the fold there too um yeah. and i would say do you think they upgraded at DH slash first? Telez is still the guy at first. Who was who was taking most of the was it Renfro? Who was taking most of the DH role last year? I'm drawing a I blank on Renfro. That. I'm drawing a blank on that too. But while you dig that up, like I'm looking at the bench too. I like the bench a lot. Abraham I, Toro. I like yes. Toro didn't play well last year, but 26 years old, I still think he can he can be a dynamic bench bat. And Brasso's a platoon guy. McCutcheon was, was the DH. My God, yeah. That, that, how do we forget that? that I, I know how we forgot that. Um, Jesse Winker, I think, is an upgrade over Andrew McCutcheon in the DH role. McCutcheon couldn't couldn't hit righties. Winker can't hit lefties that well. I'd rather that. So uh, they've got Hira off the bench who can you know platoon against lefties and, and be a guy there and we know Hira can hit for power it's just you know he's going to strike out a lot but I think you can kind of accept that Hira is a power bat that you know will be on of course he's a reverse splits guy that's great um but yeah. Hira is a power bat that will hit enough homers to come off the bench and 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 be a big league piece for you uh yeah. but I think Winker is a big X factor for this offense I'm not worried about Terang I know he's going to give you value I don't know if he's going to be a a 95 WRC plus for the first half or a 105 uh, or, you know, for the course of the season, a 110 or a 115. But what I will say is he's going to be close to league average offensively in the worst case scenario. And he's going to be dynamic. So I would say, what would you say the biggest questions are for this offense? Biggest questions for this offense, I think are what's going to happen in the outfield because you've got Christian Yelich mm-hmm. in left, Garrett Mitchell in center, Tyrone Taylor in right. I hope by June one, it's Christian Yelich in left, Sal Freelich in center, Joey Weimer in right. I agree. Um, you know, you look at the numbers on Mitchell, 311, 373, 459 in 28 games. Great. 41% strikeout rate. The guy is is Jekyll and Hyde when it comes to, to the swing and miss. It's weird because you look at 20 triple a games it doesn't strike out that much but you look at you know 44 double a games where there was spurts where he was striking out every third at bat so he's a tough one to gauge he's a really good athlete um but you know i, I think you give him the first month if, if you're not trading him see how he's doing if he's struggling it's free like time right and if it's free like time you know he's going to be a steady guy in center field he's going to play good defense he's going to put the bat on ball and he's got some sneaky pop um in right Tyrone Taylor is a placeholder. He put up a decent year last year. The second Weimer's ready, they're bringing him up, right? Like that. He's a better Tyrone Taylor. He's a he's a more electric Tyrone Taylor. Um, so, but then does that mean do you even trade from those guys then? Or maybe you don't need you can. to. 
like I think Mitchell and Taylor are capital. I think Mitchell is more so capital than Taylor. I think Taylor is a great bench bat. Um, but I, I think Garrett Mitchell should provide trade capital. And the question is, where do they do it? Because I really don't think they need to do it. And if they're going to do anything in the starting rotation, it's subtract a Burns or a Woodruff for another major league caliber starter with slightly more control. Uh, as the starting rotation lines up right now, it's Burns, Woodruff, Lauer, Freddie Peralta, Aaron Ashby. Like no notes. And that's, that's the thing is like, so why trade for starting pitching depth? I don't um, think you have to. You have Robert Gaster, who was in triple last year. You got in that in that hitter trade, who I think could be a, a fine five at some point this year as he gets a little bit better with the And command. maybe you're holding out some hope on Ethan Small, too. And Ashby. How about Ashby making the leap? 24 years old. We've been talking about Ashby as somebody that, like, oh, that was, you know, I think the first year of the podcast, that was he was one of the, like, just baseball show darlings, right? Like, you love the stuff. You love your lefties. Peter was all in on the whiff rates and all that stuff. And then you know, he just didn't quite make that leap last year. Um, he could this year. Uh, Eric Lauer was was a you know incredible first stretch and then fell off a little bit. But again, he's still a very, very good big league starter, a very solid one. Um, and the bullpen is still fantastic. So like, do they need to trade for an for a starting pitcher? Like, I don't know, because let's say Freelick, for whatever reason, isn't the guy that we think he is you're going to be happy that you have Garrett Mitchell because if Freelich struggles or Weimer isn't ready, you're starting Tyrone Taylor or Garrett Mitchell in, in, in one of those outfield spots. So yeah. why are you necessarily training? I guess with, with, with Chorio coming along, but he's still a year plus out. Yeah. He's going you know, to what he's going to start in Biloxi or is he going to be starting Biloxi? And, and I think he's going to struggle a little bit. Like, I don't think he's going to just like mash through Biloxi. He's young. He doesn't have a great approach. He's super athletic and uh, he's going to take a year or so. Like I, do you trade from this outfield surplus to maybe upgrade pitching or do we think that the Brewers are subtracting one of these arms? I don't know. Xavier Scruggs, when he was on this show, he said that he thinks Corbin Burns is not a Milwaukee Brewer by opening day, which I found really interesting. He also I, is spot on 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 all of those shortstop predictions. By the way, yeah, he was very spot on with those shortstop job. predictions. Um, yeah. He kills it all the time. Like we're gonna have him mm-hmm. on again, I promise. Um, mm-hmm. The man. I don't know. Like, but it, but if Burns gets moved, it's for a guy who is a young three that could develop into a one and more prospect cap. Right. Yeah. So why? (laughs) Yeah. That's my big question too. I guess if they think that they are farther off from competing, that's what I say. How serious are you? How serious are you? Because I think you're still not a free agent until 2025. And so you have, you have two more years or, yeah, 2025. So you have you have two more years of control of Corbin Burns. So even if you don't make it happen this year, you can make it happen next year, right? Like, right. why are you trading Burns, um, who at the end of the year you know, ended up still being one of the best pitchers in baseball, even through his subjective ebbs and flows? Because he wasn't as good as Corbin Burns was when he won the Cy Young. He still was a two nine four ERA guy in two hundred two innings. Yeah, I'm gonna side on hold both and. Yes. You're looking to upgrade at the three spot because Freddie Peralta can't stay on the field and his shoulders make me nervous. Ashby, I hope he makes the leap, but Lauer and Ashby, I think that's the one spot where you're looking, okay, maybe we can upgrade there. But, but I don't you're not you going to. You're not going to with Garrett Mitchell and Tyrone Taylor, right? You're only upgrading at that spot if you're trading Jackson Chorio. So I, 
like, did they really do anything? Yeah, I, this wow, this sounds so sad, but no, like I don't think they do anything. It's funny because we went into this like w- w- assuming we we're going to move some outfielders or whatever. But like when you go through the whole roster, like the listener is kind of going through it with us, right? Like they're kind of processing it as we process yeah, it. We didn't like, what, we didn't talk on the phone before this episode. Um, I don't see why you do it. You know, and, and honestly, I I'm going to throw in a random little sidebar here. I would rather have somebody other than Rowdy Telez at first. I'll say that. Um, but yeah, but he hit 35 homers. I know, I know, but I think a lot of people get 35 homers here. He hit 219 with a 306 on base. I think there's guys that could hit 35 homers and get on base, but that's for another time because they're not going to find a, an upgrade before opening day at first base no, there. So they're not. I, like, um, I don't think you're upgrading that rotation, right? Like the the, the only realistic realistic way that you do that is you trade Burns. You load up on insane prospects. You tr- make another trade for another. It's like, what are you doing? It's like one step forward, two steps back. So I, I don't, I don't really understand why you would make a Burns trade unless you really don't feel good about this year. And I don't see how the Brewers could go into this year and feel like they don't have a shot. The division stinks. The Cubs have gotten better. They're still far off. The Brewers, you know, I think you look at the, the Reds deep in a rebuild. Pirates deep in a rebuild. Cardinals phenomenal, sure, but you could feasibly be the second best team in this division. They won 86 games last year, despite Woodruff not being, you know, Woodruff for the whole season. They both finished strong, um, and Freddie Peralta being unavailable. And we think that the lineup could be better. I think you just you just roll forward. And I do want to talk about the bullpen. You you subtract Josh Hader. That bullpen is still really damn good, it's man. It's really good. It's really good. Devin Williams is one of the best closers in baseball. Matt Bush has turned a corner in his life at 37 years old, and he looks like he's going to be a great 37-year-old reliever for them. Peter Strezelecki is pretty solid. I saw him throw in Nashville. Don't he's good, he man. And so I, I worked with his brother at a hitting facility uh, okay. during COVID. His brother was in the Marlins or retired recently. Um, uh, and, and they, first of all, very nice people. But I, I I followed because of because of his brother. I wouldn't have known who he was through the minor leagues. And he's like, I'm telling you, dude, I'm biased, but my brother can throw. So he was showing me some of his stuff in the minors. I'm like, this is good stuff. Like, wow, this guy's nasty. I see him going up with the Brewers. You said you watched him in Nashville. He was phenomenal at every stop in the minors. Goes up to the big leagues, 283 ERA. That's a guy they really trust. They started putting him in big spots. He was going into save opportunities, eighth innings, like big spots there. Like, that's a guy that they're kind of – you know, grooming to be another one of their high leverage arms. And then, you know, they've got other options as well. And then we talk about depth. They've got Adrian Hauser as a fill-in long reliever spot starter as well. And other guys in the minor leagues, I think could come up and be, you know, impact relievers. Don't sleep on John Singleton as well as as a guy that can fill in uh, as a masher on the bench or if Rowdy Telez is struggling or hurt or whatever it may be. Dude Um, walks. He gets on base. I think he led the international league in OBP. He hits the shit out of the ball. Um, yeah. And I think that could be a good, a good, you know, just got to add to the equation here. I, I don't know if I do anything else. I, I kind of like what they've done this offseason, though quiet. I kind of like what they've done. Can I say something with the offensive improvements, especially with William Contreras and, and adding Winker, hoping that Winker bounces back and with a full year of Bryce Terang and, you know, these these prospects that we love probably getting the chance to break in with the pitching talent and the pitching depth that they have. And that being the main question for the St. Louis Cardinals, my jaw is not going to be on the floor. If the Brewers win the NL central this year. <laughs> um, 
I, I, I'm, I'm, I would say I would, my jaw wouldn't be on the floor because I could see a way where things unravel for the Cardinals pitching wise, like you said. Um, I definitely expect the Brewers to be in it with the Cardinals. And, and I think it's, it's one of those where it's like you go through the season here a month or two in, you have a better idea of what's going on. Let's say Mitchell's swinging it okay, but Freelick comes up and looks good. You can make a trade then, right? And at that point, other teams may be more willing two months in, three months in. You know, if the Marlins are off to a 10 and 20 start, they might be more willing to take on some prospects, right? So like, and that's just one example, right? There's other teams that, you know, may realize two, three months in, okay, hey, we're not there yet. Um, yeah. And be more willing to take on prospects. Everyone goes into the year hoping that they're going to compete. So I kind of like keeping your cards in your back pocket here and waiting and seeing how things go. Because if you have a surprise deficiency where someone goes down, now you go make that move. Garrett Mitchell and whoever else, you go get what you need. But I don't think you make a trade just to make it. And I don't think the Brewers are going to do that. I think it was just a point by Ken Rosenthal that they'll survey the market. But I don't I don't take much from that. And, and I think for the most part, they stand pat. Like, do you even sign a bench bat here? Do you try to sign a Trey Mancini? Do they need a guy like that? Um, like, I wouldn't – like, you have Brasso, you have Hira – I don't think they're going to do anything there. I think maybe they sign a bullpen arm and, and that's it. They could probably use a lefty in the bullpen if we're going Taylor to be Taylor Rogers, honest. bring him back? I would say, yeah, bring back Taylor Rogers, and I'd say that's about it um, because right now their only lefty is Hobie Milner. Yeah, I'm good without Hobie Milner being my go-to left-handed arm. I, I would like if they brought back Taylor Rogers and, and have him in that setup role. He and Matt Bush kind of split that role. I think we nailed a boring Brewers offseason. To be honest, there we go. There we go. Nothing. But no, it's a good way to highlight what they've got. And don't forget Joel Piamps. They got Joel Piamps. Ground ball guy. All right. I got to run. Before we wrap up, before we wrap up, what is your prediction on? And we'll probably do this more as the season gets closer. But I got to do it while I have you. William Contreras, Jesse Winker, home runs, WRC plus prediction. Okay, uh, William Contreras is going to hit 22 homers. That's it? And have, yeah, I think so. He's going to hit 22 homers and have a 112 WRC+. Plus. Uh, that'd be Winker, disappointing for them. Yeah, Winker is going to hit 26. Ooh. And have... I I expect a bounce back from Jesse Winker. I think Winker's going to ball. I think Winker's going to ball, dude. I, I really do. I'm I think I think six, and I bet he's. I bet he runs a 120 WRC plus out there. He will because he walks 344 on base, even in the disaster last year. So if he's hitting 20 plus homers and getting on base at that clip, he's gonna be he's gonna be slugging closer to 400, and he'll, he'll be a well a well or probably around 450. He'll be a well above average WRC plus guy. Um, one more for fun: Christian Yelich WRC plus and home runs. 205 WRC plus 63 homers, one better than Judge. You know what's crazy is like if you said that in 2018, I'd be like, okay. <laughs> I'd obviously be like, you're nuts, but like it, 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 it was possible. Like I just to wrap up here, I just want to let people know, remind people what, what Christian Yelich did in 2019 <laughs> 329, 429, 671 slugging, 671 slugging. 44 homers, 30 stolen bases. I want to give Christian Yelich his flowers. Of course, he does not want to suck. Uh, I don't know if it was the kneecap. I don't know if it was the back. Like, we also forget he broke his kneecap that year when he would have won the second straight MVP. 
Um, I love Christian Yelich. He's an awesome, awesome player, awesome dude. Like he's finding a way to still be, you know, to battle. He was a 2.3 F4 guy last year. He was better last year than he was in 2021. Like that's objectively a fact. If he can take another small step forward and be that three win guy, this team could definitely make a, make a push for the division. All right. I got a bounce. This was good. Arm and Peter talk to you tomorrow. 